So names are kind of a big deal. Names are a big deal. They're important. Um, and if, if you've ever had the opportunity to name a person or maybe an animal or something like that, you think about what you're doing when you give someone a name. Now, we have, we, we have four kids, and so we have plenty of opportunity to do the naming thing. And we were very intentional with that. And if you've had children before, maybe uh, what you do is typically you go find a baby name book, which at this point is about the size of a dictionary now, right? All the baby name books. And you get the baby name books and you go through every one of the names, all of them, right? And you start searching them out, trying to find the right name for your child or pet or whatever it is that you're trying to name. But here's my question. Have you ever been in the naming phase and as you were throwing out names as potential candidates for the human being that you were trying to name or the animal you're trying to name, when you threw that name out there, you're, uh, the other person trying to make this name with you said, no, we can't use that name because I knew this kid in fifth grade. <laughs> and that kid spit a spitball at me and so we can never use the name Kip ever again. Have you ever had that? I don't know, Kip. Is anybody named Kip? Okay, just do it. All right. Have you ever, did you, have you ha how many of you have actually had that experience? Where like, uh, we can't use that name because I know a person and they were horrible to me. And so they're off. That's off the, off the chart. We had that conversation? Okay. That's, the reason we have that is because names are more than just words. There are lots of words in the dictionary. There's lots of words in our culture, all kinds of words. But the name has meaning. It, it goes beyond just a, a phrase that we use to identify someone. It actually has meaning. And the reason that we nix names when we're going through the baby or dog naming process is because every name actually means something to us. It actually, it, there's a stirring inside of us. There's something that happens in us, even emotionally, when we hear names, right? And there are all kinds of emotions that can come from the names that we throw out there when a name is spoken, right? Uh, names can bring even a sense of doom, right? If, when I say the name Darth Vader, what does that make you think? Yeah? A little darkness, some of you are like, oh, he, he trying to be good, you know, or whatever, yeah, right, okay. You're like trying to be faithful to the story, okay. Don't Star Wars nerd out on me, okay. Darth Vader, or if I say the name Chucky, right? Yeah, oh, this is so good. So I wish you could see your faces, it's amazing, right? These emotions that come from these names that we throw out there. So this kind of sense of like creepiness, right? 99% of you are thinking about a really creepy little doll named Chucky, and then some of you sports nerds are thinking about the head coach for that. The LA Raiders. Or is it LA? Oakland? No. Las Vegas? I don't know. Where are the Raiders? <laughs> Nobody knows where the Raiders are. Sorry. All right. Okay. So you have that. Okay. But then you can also have names that kind of like maybe bring inspiration, right? So like Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Right. Thinking, oh my gosh, so good. Except for Rocky Five. Let's just forget that one. But other than that, we're good. Rocky, right? Or Mr. Darcy. Yeah, all the girls are like, <laughs> the guys are like, what, 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 who, Mr. Who? Yeah, okay, sorry, let's get some culture, men. Okay, 
You have all of, here, all of those names, they, bring, they mean something. They bring something to the surface. They kind of call out our emotion and make us think about the person and what they mean and who they are. That's what's happening here in Isaiah 9 when there is over the nation of Israel a sense of doom and darkness. They're in a very difficult and dark place. You ever been in a dark place and you needed a ray of hope? The prophet Isaiah comes and he wants to describe to the people who are in a dark moment of their lives the coming king that is going to save them. Now, if you look with me at Isaiah 9, before you even read this, you can be very, you might not even be a believer in this. You might not even be a follower of Jesus. You have very likely heard this scripture that we're going to read because this scripture is like the scripture that's on the coffee cups. It's entirely possible when you were pulling out your Christmas decorations. And if you haven't done that yet, it's time to get on that. But if you're pulling out your Christmas decorations, you had a mug or a wreath or something that said this scripture, Isaiah chapter nine, we're gonna start in verse six. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Now, even as I say that, it's entirely possible that there's a song going off in your head, right? In fact, it, we know this scripture because this is uh, known as Handel's Messiah, right? This song. And it's actually the, it's actually the most produced or recorded or listened to a uh, given song in all of the Western world. And the music was produced because it promises uh, it, it gives the promises of the, the names attached to the coming king, to the king that would save Israel and ransom them from their own brokenness. And these names, every one of these names is deeply, deeply meaningful. And these names go beyond just having the warm fuzzies because with these names comes the guarantee of what it will mean when this king comes. And look at this verse with me in verse 7. The next scripture says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here is the promise. There is a king who is coming here are his names, but hear but hear this. This is an ironclad promise to you. This is going to happen and God is going to bring it about. And so what we're gonna do over these next few weeks are tap into these names and see what are the promises of the king that came. His name was Jesus, the promised king who came and what it would mean for our everyday lives. Now, to understand this promise, you actually have to go back a couple of chapters into Isaiah 7 because at this point in Israel's his history, essentially a civil war has broken out and Israel's divided into two nations and there's Judah, uh, which is in the south with Jerusalem 
Jerusalem is its capital and Israel is in the north uh, around the area of the Sea of Galilee. And this is the year 730 BC. So this is seven centuries, 700 years before Jesus will even come on the scene. And there's a king in Judah, his name's King Ahaz. And he's nervous because the superpower of the day, Assyria, is amassing an army to come and conquer the Israelites come and conquer the people of God. And so Ahaz is asking the question, how do we defend our country? How do we defend Judah against this coming army? And so he's strategizing and trying to form allegiances and alliances so that he can be able to withstand the assault that's impending. And, so that, and that's not necessarily a bad idea because I, I think that's really a great idea to have alliances with people that are for you. The problem is he's asking everyone else, but he's not asking God. He's not coming to the Father. He's not coming to God and asking him for his wisdom and clarity and understanding about what he wants to do. And so he's not seeking the Lord. But the, the beautiful thing is God so loved his people, he was so faithful to his people that he was going to come and he sends a prophet to Ahaz and says, listen, you don't have to worry about alliances. You don't have to worry about those things. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna take care of you. God wanted Ahaz to know, listen, you can trust me that the, the, the nation, the land, the people of Judah can absolutely put your trust in me. In fact, God comes to him and says, listen, anything you ask me, I'll do for you. You just have to come and ask me. Ask me. He says, Any, anything you need to show the guarantee that I'm gonna come and cover you, I'll give it to you. And guess what Ahaz does? Nothing. God actually literally invites me. He says, I'm not, I'm not even going to do that. Won't come to you. Now, I want you to think about this. If you get a sign, you get this amazing sign to come and to, to respond to the one who's given you the promise. When you do that, there's one thing you have to do. You have to obey it, right? You get, a, you get an opportunity. God comes to you and says, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cover you. I'm gonna take care of you. I need you to trust me. You have one thing you have to do. You have to trust him. You actually have to obey. You have to be willing to take the step. And this is the issue with Ahaz. The reason he didn't wanna inquire of the Lord is because he didn't wanna have to do what the Lord was asking him to do. And so the nation finds itself in a really dark place. And he says, listen, God's so faithful to you that even though you're not willing to ask me for the sign, I'm gonna give a sign to you anyway. And in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, it says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's so faithful. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? That, that verse is about Jesus. That's the one, we, we, we've maybe heard that one. That was the one that we talk about at Christmas a lot as well. Emmanuel, God with us, that's what it means. But there's a truth in Old Testament prophecy. What we'll see many, many, in fact, most of the prophecies we see have a, 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 an, an actual realization right in the time, and then there's a greater realization of it as well. This is what we see all throughout the scripture, is that God will give a foretaste 
right then and there to show his goodness. And then he says, but there's a greater promise that's coming that I want you to trust on. And so he gives that promise. And in fact, in Isaiah chapter eight, there is a son that's born to a virgin. Now we're not talking about uh, uh, the, the immaculate conception or anything like that again, but what happens is there's an actual virgin. She is married, right? And then she actually gives birth. And this son is a sign to the nation of Israel, to the nation of Judah. And this is a fulfillment, a promise from God. But he says this, but there's a greater fulfillment coming. I have this promise and I'm giving you a foretaste, but there's something greater that is coming and I wanna give that to you. And we see the faithfulness of God coming and showing that, listen, I'm going to meet every need, but you're going to have to come into this place and trust me. You're gonna have to come and step out of what seems comfortable to you to try to uh, wrestle this thing yourself and actually trust me that I'm for you and I'm over you. And so the father gave them this sampling, if you will, this, this baby taste, this baby step, but he said, there's something else that's coming and it's gonna be a sign to you and it's gonna provide hope for your heart in this dark time. And this is the beautiful thing about what God does when we find ourselves in dark times. And here's the truth for every human being. Every one of us find ourselves in dark moments. We find ourselves in places where we don't feel or sense or see a lot of hope. I mean, can we, if we're just being honest about life, every one of us goes through these moments where maybe things aren't lining up and you might not be able to look out and have and see like there's this nation of Syria coming to you, but what you feel inwardly is that it feels like the world is crashing in on you, that things aren't right, that the ship isn't feeling very safe as you're sailing along in life and there feels like something is ready to pounce on you to destroy you, to come against you, to pull you out of the things that are life-giving and good. And we've all been at that place before. In fact, scripture actually tells us this. This is what Paul says to the Ephesian church. He says, listen, there's actually a real battle that's going on all the time. It's not the one that can be seen in the flesh. It's the one that's going on in a supernatural place where there are principalities and rulers of darkness that are actively coming to seek and destroy you and me all the time. All the time. And there are seasons of highs and lows, but as we go through this life, there is this real spiritual realm. There is an actual attack. It may not be an Assyrian army, but let me tell you, there is something coming to steal, kill, and destroy every one of us. And when we find ourselves in the battle in those days, the thing that we have to hold on to is the hope of a promise of a king who says, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you, but I'll come for you. We need that ray of hope. If you look actually back at Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, I love the description of this moment, this season. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Hope, seeing that light, that's what fuels us. That's what gives us fire to walk through the dark seasons. Or when you feel like, if you will, the spiritual Assyrian army is ready to attack you to bring you down, to come against you. 
And as that weight tends to crush, we look for the hope. Where is the light at the end of the tunnel, right? We're asking that question. Do I believe in the goodness of God to cover me in those dark times or in those dark moments? I love Psalm 27. I was actually reading this with my daughter the other day. We were on the couch and reading through this scripture. And I, I love this description, Psalm 27, verse 13. It says, I, I, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Man, I would have lost heart. In fact, one scripture says I would have lost heart if I didn't believe that I would see the goodness of God. And so there is a call on the nation of Israel and there's a call on each one of us. And the question is this, will we believe in the greatness and the goodness and the ransoming power of God, even in the dark moment? Can we believe and can we trust him when we find ourselves in that place? You might even find yourself in a place where you don't even feel like you can go on or you feel exasperated or even exhausted. And there's this promise. And as we walk into that season, the promise comes and he says, listen, I am with you. And not only is he with us, but the description of his greatness and that greater fulfillment of who Jesus is begins to come forward. And that Isaiah 9 scripture begins to say, yeah, there was a foretaste of a, a child to come. But there is another coming king who is ready to speak with clarity and precision into each one of our lives. There's another child that's gonna be born in here. Here's what he says. And here's what his name is. Wonderful counselor. That's his name. Now, when you think of the name counselor, it's, it's entirely possible that you, you have some bad connotations with that. You know, if you get into, a, especially out here in the South, when we think about counselor, we think, I don't need no counselor. I'm, I'll fix myself, thank you very much, right? That's how we do that out here in the Southern United States, right? I don't know if the Yankees, I don't know if you Northerners are like that at all. Are y'all like that? Okay, man, mankind's basically prideful. We all think we're okay, right? And so oftentimes you can have a, a kind of a connotation, right? That I, I don't need to see no counselor. I'll, I'll fix myself. They have different connotations of, uh, of the idea of counselor. But if we actually strip back all some of those connotations, maybe some of our American or Western way of thinking, think of what it actually means to have a counselor that the coming king would be a counselor. He'd be one who would speak to us and to help us navigate through the rough waters of life. The one who would come and be able to give understanding in those dark moments. An actual counselor who, who could come and declare to us, guide us where we need to go. Speak to us when it's time to move to the left, if you will, where to go, what to do. Can you think about a trusted counselor who can come alongside you and be a voice of life and hope and reason? The truth is this. Every one of us is in desperate need of counsel. Every one of us. We're actually all in desperate need of a real counselor who can come and speak to the things that are going on in our lives. 
We're even desirous, I think, of someone that could come and actually know us and tell us what is actually true and allow us to be able to walk with some understanding in the days ahead, to be able to see things that we can't see for ourselves. Have you ever found yourself so like upside down in an issue or a situation? You're, you don't even feel like you can see with any clarity what's actually happening. And what you just needed was somebody from the outside to be able to encourage or to be able to bring some like clarity of what's going on. And somebody's, somebody said, you ever been in that place where somebody says something to you and you're like, oh yeah, why couldn't I see that before? How powerful it is to have the voice of a counselor, someone who's come to give us insight, to bring their perspective That's invaluable. And so here's the question. What would happen if the counsel that we received wasn't just good ideas? What if the counsel was wonderful? What if the counsel was far above anything we could even approach imagining? What if the counsel was so creative, it was more than anything you could come up with yourself? What if it took you in a direction you couldn't even previously see before because it was beyond ourselves? That's exactly the kind of counsel that we need and what we're looking for. What if the counsel you sought after, hear this, what if the counsel you sought after knew everything about you? knew all the ins and outs, knew the ways that you thought, knew how you were wired, knew everything about you, not just the way that you think and feel. What if he knew every way that you've been crafted, how your organs are working on the inside of your body? Literally, can see and know everything about you. What if the, what if the council was operating in a level of wisdom and insight that you've never heard or seen before. What, what if, you know, if you look at the, the Hebrew definition of wonderful, it literally means beyond understanding, beyond the ability of words to describe. When you're talking about wonderful counselor, what it's saying is this, Jesus is so far beyond anything you could imagine. And his word of life and counsel and encouragement to you comes from a place that is far beyond our own understanding. And that's who Jesus actually is, right? And if that's who he is, then what insights? I want you to hear this. What insights does the son of God who knows everything about you internally and externally and how you think and the thoughts that you say out loud and the thoughts you would never say in a room of people, knows every one of those things. What if he was given authority and allowance to come in and give direction to you? What if he was given space to come in and whisper his truth and life over you in the dark moment? Our king knows everything. 
I love the scripture. Romans 11 puts it this way. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor. Now, I love this. Who has been, I love this, this very scripture. Who has been the counselor of the Lord? There is none. He is the counselor. Who has ever given to God? that God should repay him for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Church, he's beyond our comprehension. And here's what God wanted us to know about the coming king. He, is, he isn't just the one who's coming to ransom our lives from sin and death. Yes and amen, that's what Jesus did. But listen to me, it didn't stop there. And that thought alone is magnificent, what he's done for us. But he is coming as a friend. He is coming as a friend with counsel and insights into our lives that will change who we are. I love that Jesus himself, the book of John, literally says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Meaning the kind of relating that Jesus wanted to do is the kind where a friend comes alongside you and says, hey, I want to help you see something. I wanna come alongside you and give wisdom and clarity to where you're going. And so the question becomes this, how do we receive this wonderful counsel? If Jesus is near and if his, the, the father's declared name over the son of God is wonderful counselor, then how do we receive it? How do we get it? How do we come upon this counsel? Well, we put it in the words of another prophet, Jeremiah. A hundred years later, Jeremiah 29, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Or the prophet, Azariah, 2 Chronicles 15, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Or King David, Psalm 32, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach me. And we go back to the word of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter four. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Or you can look at the one, the, 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 the words of the wonderful counselor himself in Matthew chapter seven. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Can we just be honest? In a world where we would love counsel and insight and understanding of how to navigate the days ahead, the question is, are we willing to push the pause button to seek after him? to actually ask the question. To say, Lord Jesus, you see things that are far beyond my understanding. You have directives and places that you want to take me. You have words of life you want to speak over me. So here's the question. Will we pause and seek him? Truly seek him. Ask. Come before him to, if you will, to turn off the noise. And I'm preaching to myself because there's always stuff going on. There's always things that you could be listening to or doing. We were even talking about it this morning. 
you know, there's always music that you can have on, or there's always a great podcast you can be listening to. But here's my question. If the wonderful counselor has perfect insight for your body, heart, and mind, would we be willing to turn off the noise and come and seek him and ask, Lord, what would you have for me today? I'm gonna just turn off the noise. I'm gonna turn off the junk. I'm gonna have this moment to say, you're my wonderful counselor. Would you direct me? Would you instruct me? Would would you speak hope to me where I, I feel hopeless? Or if I find myself in this dark place or if I feel confused in this moment, I thank God for Spotify, but just shut it off for a minute and just say, Lord, speak. Speak. Come be here with me. It might even feel super uncomfortable for like two minutes. And then there's a releasing. And we say, Lord, you're my counselor. You're wonderful. You have beautiful things to say. And can we open our hands and ask him to say it? I'm gonna ask our worship team just to come up. We're gonna finish out here. Here's... Here's what I gained from all those scriptures. Jesus is ready to be found. I'm gonna say that again. What we see, the definitive record from all of scripture is this. Jesus is ready to be found. And here, I want you to hear this right now, and this is important. Here are the qualifications for receiving word and encouragement from the wonderful counselor. Here are the qualifications. Not your righteousness, not how good you've been, not how solid of a life you've crafted, not how mature you are spiritually. You will not find anywhere in scripture God giving you those litmus tests in order to receive from him. Here's the qualifications, seek me. That's all you have to do. You could be in your darkest moment right now. When we turn our heart to him, he says, seek me and you will find me if you'll do it with your heart. If you'll give it to me. If you'll come to me, soul. Not staying on the, uh, on the outside on a distance, but just coming to me. I have words of life. It's the beautiful thing about God is he isn't requiring our righteousness in order to be found. He's just saying, come and seek. Seek me first. Seek my righteousness first. I'll take care of all the other things, but will you seek me? You guys stand with me.